Thank you for listening to a Praise Chapel Kingman podcast. If you need any information about our church, or if you'd like to give online, please visit us at praisechapelkingman.com. Thank you, Jesus. And let me say this to you today. If you're here and you say, man, I, I didn't feel it. Let me suggest to you that what you do is, is rather than waiting for it, go get it. And, I, and what I mean by that is, you know, I, I think what has to happen, and I don't remember when I said this, but I said it last service. When we stop worrying about our reputation and worrying about his, things will change. So often I, I, I find myself hindered because I, I'm being moved by what, what are people going to think? And the reality is, is, is generally I'm not that important and people aren't thinking about me. Or they're already thinking no matter what I do. So I'm going to do what he says. Amen. One of these days, you might see me just jump right off this platform, run across them chairs. It will be a miracle. If you witness that, you just elbow your neighbor and go, that's a miracle. Because if that big old boy jumps off that platform, runs across these chairs, God is at work. I mean, I'm done with Amen. Man, it's good to be in the house of God. Amen. Well, I want to minister a, a message. Uh, first of all, let me put out a disclaimer in this service. We will not finish this, this sermon today. Um, uh, there's just, God just put so much in it for me. And, and as, as I preach it, it develops even further. But uh, um, we will finish, or, or I don't know, I say we'll finish next week. That might not be true either. But we'll continue on next week. It was not intended to be necessarily a series, but... That's what, what's happening. But I do believe this morning that, that there is something, God is up to something. I, I mean, uh, you know, and, and in somebody that's been around a while that's a, what I would call an intelligent believer, meaning that you have experience at noticing and you're aware of things going on, is that you can see that God is moving. And we don't know everything that he's doing, but we know, and, and we've gotten words. Um, uh, men of God have come into this place. Men and women have come into this place and have told us, that it's like, you know, I don't know if you feel it, but when we come in, it's electric. Yeah. And uh, there's change. There's, there's, there's something about to happen that God's going to do a big thing. And, and, and we're on the, uh, we are on the uh, verge of that. And... We feel it. Uh, we feel it building, and um, you know it's 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 such a powerful thing. And so, this morning I want to minister this message that I believe fits. It's part and parcel of what we're doing and 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 where we're at. But I also want to say to you this morning that this message uh, doesn't come out of a book somewhere. It doesn't it doesn't come uh, as me just you know rehearsing someone else's words. This really is. Uh, a little bit of a, a view into my journey, um, a little bit, my struggle. Um, you know, the title gives it away, Earnestly Contending for the Faith, and I could tell you that I haven't always uh, fared well there. Uh, I could tell you that um, faith has been a challenge for me at times, 
And uh, um, so these are some of the things that I've learned and, and, and I'll, I'll have to say am learning. And so I want to share this because I believe this is where God would have us to go. There's a story that I have uh, shared on multiple occasions throughout the years of being a pastor. This goes all the way back. I first found this story when I was preaching in, and pastoring in Needles. And uh, so that's how far that goes back. It goes back about 30 years. But it is a story that I've always enjoyed. And so I want to share it with you today and, and, um, and, and just kind of set the platform here. There was a little boy that went into a grocery store and asked the clerk for a box of Does detergent. The clerk says, what do you need that detergent for? The little boy replied, well, I want to wash my dog. The clerk says, well, son, the does detergents is pretty strong for washing a little dog. So the boy responded, but that's what I want. And so the clerk says, oh, okay, okay, all right, if you're sure. But you need to be careful because when you wash your dog with that soap, it might kill him. About a week later, the little boy came back into the store and the clerk recognized him and said, son, how is your dog doing? The little boy said, he's dead. <laughs> the clerk replied, oh, I'm, I'm sorry to hear that, but I told you that does detergent was awful strong and that it might kill him. The little boy shook his head and says, I don't think it was the does detergent that killed him. I think it was the spin cycle that got him. <laughs> Oh, man. That's funny. I don't care who you are. That's funny right there. Sometimes life is just like that, isn't it? I don't know about you, but my life can be one minute. I am in living in what I would call relative peace, happy. Things are going well. Seems like everything's okay. And then the very next moment find myself in the spin cycle. How many know what I'm talking about? And I've come to believe that the difference between success and failure in those moments really is our response to it. See, the question that we must answer when we find ourselves in the spin cycle of life is how are we going to respond are we going to respond in faith, knowing that our Father in heaven, he is the one that is obligated to give us nothing, but yet gives us everything? Are, are we going to respond to him like Proverbs chapter 3 verse 5 says, trusting with all of our heart, not leaning to our own understanding? Will we respond that way or will we respond in fear, believing that our present circumstances will overwhelm God and his word. I want you to think about that for a moment. There's no one in their right mind that would ever admit believing that circumstances could ever override God or his word, but oftentimes we find ourselves believing that lie. So many of us struggle because I believe that we've lost the reality of experiencing the power of God. 
Listen to what I'm saying. See, for many of us, the power of God has been limited. It is the subject of stories gone by. You know, we talk to people and it's like, yeah, back in the good old days, God moved or he did this or I remember when. And so it ends up being nothing more of a story of a day gone by. Or worse yet, for many Christians, they just view the supernatural power of God as just being too spooky or fleshly. I, I'm always amazed at how often Christians will talk about they want God to come on the scene, but when God comes on the scene, they're completely freaked out and they attribute it to the devil. But the truth is, we do serve a God of power, don't we? Newsweek did an article a while back, and the title of the article was this, America, our fascination with the paranormal. And in that article, what it said, the bottom line of the article was, people are looking for something that is going to make a difference. That's what people are looking for. That's why people get tied up in all kinds of things. That's why, that's why the one lady several years ago ended up with a $17,500 phone bill because she kept calling the, uh, the psychic hotline. What is she looking for? She's looking for something that's going to make a difference in her life. Years ago, Leonard Ravenhill said these words. He says, the world is not waiting for a new definition of the gospel, but for a new demonstration of the power of the gospel. Are you hearing what I'm saying? The truth is, that's what you and I are looking for. We're looking for a supernatural power that will change the unchangeable. Heal the incurable, a power that will bring hope, peace, freedom to our lives. We're looking for a supernatural God with a supernatural power to take on our impossible situations. Because in life, sometimes there is no therapy. There is no prescription. There is no program that will fix our present problems. There's only the power of God. Amen. But herein lies the problem. That kind of power, that supernatural power, generally, most often, is the result of the people of God walking and operating in faith. Amen. And that's what we struggle with. We struggle with faith. We struggle. It's hard. It's a fight. It's a war. But the Bible is clear in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it says, But without faith, it's impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. And so the walk of life for a Christian is a walk of faith. The just shall live by faith, the Bible says. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So faith is an extremely important thing, yet it is a, it is a subject, it is a, a dynamic, it is a principle, it is, a, it is a, 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 a facet of our Christianity that we struggle with very often. There's a story in the New Testament, and if you think that I have forgotten my text, I have not. It'll come about halfway through the sermon, so hang on. There's a story in the New Testament that captures this struggle that we're talking about better than any other. 
It's found in Mark chapter 9. It's not on the screen. I'll read it to you. Mark chapter 9, verses 17 through 24. You can read it later. It says, then one of the crowd answered and said, teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. And whenever he seizes him, he throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast him out, but they could not. He answered him and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long should I bear with you? Bring him to me. Then they brought him to him. And when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed in him. And he fell on the ground and wallowed and foamed at the mouth. So he asked the father, how long has this been happening? And the father said, from childhood. And he often has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, listen to the desperation of this man. But if you can do anything, please have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out with tears and said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. If there was ever a story that captures the power of feeling helpless in the midst of staggering odds and the necessity of faith, it is this one. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I, I'll be a little bit vulnerable with you. Some, you may, this may seem to some as a surprise, for others, not so much. But I, by nature, am a control freak. Yeah, I know it's hard to believe. I know when you look at me, you think, you know what, you got everything dialed in. You're just a peaceful man that just kind of cruises through life. Not, I'll be, not getting upset or effect, being affected. But when things are out of my control... I do not like it. I don't like it. I don't like open-ended conversations. If you call me up and say, hey, pastor, I need to talk to you tomorrow, I'll let you know then, click. You have just set me in a cycle that I'm not going to sleep all night. Not sleeping. I'm not sleeping. You could tell me tomorrow you're giving me a million dollars, but no, no, I'm not going there. I'm going to the fact that you're going to sue me for a million dollars and that you're going to sell my family into slavery. I'm going to have to run for my life. I'm going to end up in Mexico City fighting for my life, not understanding what's going on. And all of that is an attempt to control what you got to say, and I'm freaked out. I don't know either, Jen, and I'm, I'm like, what in the world? What are you doing? But I can identify with this guy. This guy, look at this guy. He comes. He, he, he's heard about Jesus, but he comes to the church. I assume that they're in church. And he comes, and, and, and there's the disciples. Now, the head pastor, Jesus, he's out. You know, head pastors, are all, they're hard to find. You know what I'm saying? The yeah. senior pastor, you can never find them. They're always somewhere else. So they figure, hey, let's do this. We're, we're going to talk to the disciples. We're, the, at least these guys have been with the senior pastor, and we can make this work. So they go to this, the disciples, and, you know, they're doing their thing, but they can't get this demon. To, they can't even get him to spit, let alone... <laughs> Come out of him. 
Well, head pastor Jesus shows back up. He comes back in. He's just all cool, fresh from the mountain praying. He walks in. And the guy goes, Jesus, oh, thank God you're here. Man, I brought my son to your disciples and they could do nothing. I'm not really sure what use they are. But could you, if you could do anything, please have compassion on us. And this story is catching the human drama of a man struggling in his faith. And to make matters worse, listen, Jesus is on the scene and the demon still manifests. The problem is so arrogant that it'll even show itself in the presence of the answer. And you're like, what, what hope is there? We're struggling. We're, we're, we're struggling. And the man says, if you can do anything, Jesus. And Jesus' response says, if you can believe. If you can have faith. This word believed or believe is a common Greek word that we use all the time to describe faith. He's saying if you can have faith, all things are possible. And the word unbelief here carries the idea of the inability to trust or to have confidence. So we could read this verse of scripture this way. I will put my trust and I will put my faith and confidence in you, Lord. But I have no confidence in myself, and I need help with doing that. In other words, God, I have no problem. See, we have no problem believing that God can. The problem is, will he? Will he move for me? Will he do this for me? I don't know that I can believe that. I don't doubt him. I doubt me. I doubt if he'll do anything for me. You ever wondered why you struggle in your faith? I do all the time. And there's two basic reasons, one positive, one negative. The positive reason that we struggle in our faith is because our faith is a muscle. And we have to exercise the muscle to make it stronger. And so there has to be resistance. And oftentimes we do find ourselves in circumstances where we are against the odds. God loves putting his people against the odds. Think of O'Gideon. He starts out with a 32,000-member army to go against 132,000. And then God says, too much, whittle it down. We're not going to whittle it down by 2,000. We're not going to whittle it down by 5,000 or even 10,000. We're going to whittle it down till there's only 300. Because now it is absolutely impossible. 300 against 132,000. And I'm not giving you any weapons. What I'm going to give you is a pitcher and a horn and a lantern. What? And so we exercise faith. And the reason that we exercise our faith is because the strength we gain in the exercise is the strength we use to keep the victory. Are you catching that? The, re- the negative reason why we struggle in our faith is what the subject of this sermon is about. So let's look at our text. And it's in the book of Jude, and Jude is only one chapter, so we're looking at verses 3 and 4. And I'm reading from the NIV. It says, Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, 
I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. For certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. These are godless men who change the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Lord Jesus Christ our only sovereign and Lord. Now that's an interesting scripture. And after spending some time reading this and rereading this scripture, I found that this passage of scripture is a very modern and relevant scripture. It's insightful concerning what's happening in the church today. Because Jude starts off, think about this, he starts off and he says, I was, he goes, dear friends, I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share. So in other words, he starts off and he's saying, look at, I had a plan and my plan was to talk to you about something that we have in common and that is our salvation because it's a great and wonderful subject. And I would love to do that, I was eager to do that. But I couldn't and I didn't. Because I found something more urgent to write about. There was something that was impressed upon me. There was something that was weighing me down. There's an intensity. There's a concern and importance, a sense of seriousness in his voice. The Amplified says this, I found it necessary and was compelled to write you urgently. This is not some simple change of mind or a by-the-way moment. But he's being pressed by the Holy Spirit to write to them. And Jude says this, My concern, my urgency, is that you would earnestly contend for the faith. And I think this is a message that the church needs today. I would love to sit back and talk about salvation, and we will and we do, and it's a wonderful subject. It's, it's the subject of ages and eternity, but yet there is an urgency that you contend for the faith. Jude was looking to stir them up. He was not looking for a passive response, but an aggressive Assault. He says, look, at you guys need to understand something. You need to get into the battle. You need to get into the fray. You need to urgently contend for the faith. You need to get after it here, he says. See, too many times we approach our faith walk with a reluctant resolve. We show up for battle like we decide on a restaurant. Let me tell you a conversation that has happened in my car after church every Sunday for the last 33 years. We get in the car and the first thing we say, what do you want for lunch? I don't know. What do you want for lunch? I don't know. You want to go home? I don't know. You want to go out? I don't know. Well, what do you want to do? I don't care. Whatever you want to do. To the point that one of us gets frustrated, usually it's me, and usually I say to Kathy, I'll look at her and I'll say, okay, pretend I'm dead. What would you do if you're beside yourself? What would you do for lunch? You're all on your own. You're by yourself. There's no John Poole left. What are you going to do? She goes something like this. Well, I'd go to Panda. Oh, I hate Panda. I don't want to go to Panda. That's how Christians show up to spiritual warfare and to battle. Are you going to fight? I'm not going to fight. You going to fight? 
I'm not going to fight. I don't know what's going to happen. Last time I fought, man, the guy almost chopped my head off. Well, let's fight. I'll tell you what, let's go fight. Well, I don't like fighting like that. Right. And we have this reluctant resolve. Kind of reminds me of the children of Israel when Goliath showed up. They're, they're stuck for months listening to this loudmouth taunt them. But David comes on the scene. Young David, he's a ruddy little kid. He's just delivering lunch for his older brothers. He's got some cheese and I don't know, maybe he went to In-N-Out. I have no idea, but he's there and I could see him. I could see him kind of pushing through the battle lines and he's looking and he's looking in the valley and there Goliath shows up. He's, you know, shaking his fist at him and taunting and saying his things. And David rises up and says, hey, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Who does he think he is? And by the way, what are you guys doing? And they're so upset at this. Listen, they're so upset, they grab him and take him to King Saul. They go, he's, they're, they don't think he's an answer. They're tattling. He's been running his mouth about us, telling us we're not very strong. And he says he could do it. Are you hearing me? David says, I can. Get me out there, man. Let me go. Saul says, well, you need some armor. He goes, no, I don't. I haven't proven that. I haven't tested that in battle, but I have tested this sling and this knife. God gave me the lion and the bear, and I know what God can do with that. And so send me out there, because God will give him to me too. See, that's what we need to do. We need to face it. This is what Jude is saying. Earnestly contend for the faith. Now listen, I know that in context, go ahead and put that scripture back up there. I know in context that he says, I want you to earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered. Or, man, see, this is the problem with memorizing in King James. For the faith that was once for all entrusted the saints. He's saying, what he's saying is there's a doctrine. He says there's, there's a belief system that is being obstructed. In other words, I understand that he's talking about our faith in terms of doctrine, but it goes to, uh, to, to, the, to the truth that if somehow our doctrine is assaulted, our ability to believe is compromised. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So I understand that. So he's saying, contend for what we told you. Hold to the truth is what he's saying. And I understand he's saying that. But when we, when we need faith, it's truth that energizes our faith. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And so this is why he's saying, don't show up passive. Don't show up reluctant, because the truth is, you are more than a conqueror. The truth is, you're the head and not the tail. You're the above and never the beneath. The truth is, is you are never the lender. You are the lender, never the borrower. The truth is you are empowered. You are a son of God. You are princes and princes of God. You are kings and priests before him. You are, the, in order for God to elevate you any further, he would have to violate the Godhead. That's how high you are. He says in eternity you will judge angels. He says, so get up there and fight like it. Then he goes on and he says, look at, he says, the reason we got to fight, the reason this is an urgency is because there are those that have crept in unaware. They're, 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 they've secretly slipped in, the NIV says. King James says they crept in 
unaware. One version says they are sneaky and creepy. And they go unnoticed. The reason is is because they blend in. It, they, 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 they come in and they make sense. And these sneaky, creepy people, they tend to go unchallenged. And as a result, faith that was once delivered unto the saints is being changed into something that denies God altogether. Are you hearing me? This story is being played out daily in the hearts of men and women everywhere. Faith is under attack. It's not an obvious attack. It's subtle, it's sneaky, it's creepy. And it's being attacked. We are being attacked by things that we readily accept. And it's transforming us into something that's ineffective. Just as in the days of when Jude penned these words, we need to earnestly contend for the faith, don't we? We need to fight the good fight of faith. Too often, we are being seduced by things that we consider normal parts of life. Because the goal of these sneaky, creepy things is to move you from what you believe and hold true to a place where you will readily buy into a lie. These ideas and principles and mindsets and philosophies and belief systems seem so benign and harmless at the moment that we literally make them a part of our everyday life. We go, oh, it's, this is just, this is the way it is. All the while they eat away and undermine our faith until it's gone and it's been transformed into something else. Listen to me. That is exactly what the definition of cancer is. Cancer transforms a living cell through mutation, through rebellion, into something that it's not. So this is spiritual cancer, and we've got to stand against it. And, you know, we never face cancer passively. Look at chemotherapy. Chemical therapy. So what are the chemicals for? It is a hope that it kills the cancer before it kills the host. That is aggressive. Jude's urgent warning is that we would stand against spiritual cancer by contending for the faith. Now, if we're going to effectively contend for the faith, then we've got to learn to recognize the things that are creeping in unaware. Now, that sounds a little silly because how can you recognize something that you are unaware of? Well, it's not that we're unaware of it because we, we just don't know what it is, but because most of the time we're willfully ignorant. See, we tend as Christians to live in denial. I saw a t-shirt a long time ago. It said this, denial is not another river in Egypt. It's the mainstream of America. And so the tendency for Christians is we like denial. But Jesus said, know the truth, and the truth will set you free. But we don't always like the truth. And so why is that? Because the truth demands something of us. Are you hearing me? So let's take a moment, and let's look at some of the things that I believe have crept in 
unnoticed. The first one is such a sinister thing because it is a part of our lives. We can't really control it, but we need to understand it, and it's called time. And I don't think there's any greater enemy to faith than time. The hardest part of faith is often simply just waiting. Especially when we live in a society that is so impatient. Proverbs 13, 12 says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Why is hope deferred? Because there has been a delay. Amen. We don't like delays. We like it. We want it now. I want what I want and I want it now. We don't even like microwaves or now. My son was telling me about, do you know my son was, my son was telling me about a, a, an invention. It's called an air fryer. Do you know you could cook a, 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 a pot roast that used to take all day to cook, you cook 20 minutes. What is it called? Instapot, sorry. The air fryer will fry things with air. And it's healthy. No grease. I don't think it's about being healthy because I don't mind grease. What I do mind is waiting for my food. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Jairus, how many remember the story of Jairus in Mark chapter 5? Gosh, I got to move. He comes to Jesus and he says, hey, Jesus. He says, uh, will you come heal my daughter? My daughter is at the point of death. And so Jesus says, yes, let's go. And so they begin to move. And as they move, a crowd begins to form around him. They're thronging him. They're pushing on him. There's delays. I could see Jairus. He's, he, he's, he's moving. He, he's moving. But then all of a sudden, something happens. Jesus stops. A little woman with an issue of blood has the nerve to interrupt this whole thing and touches the hem of his garment, she gets healed, and now Jesus is going to stop? Come on, Jesus! We're on a mission! And then he begins to deal with her, and I can feel Jairus. He's, he's getting to the edge. He's waiting. Time is passing. And in the midst of time, here comes the doubt. It's the voice of doubt. Don't, don't, don't bother the master anymore. Because your daughter's dead. Let's just go home. Come on. we got a funeral to plan. And it's at that point that Jairus is tempted to give up. But the amazing thing is Jesus never lost sight of Jairus. Because just about the time Jairus is ready to cash it in and throw his confidence away, just about the time he's ready to give up, Jesus goes, Jairus, Jairus, don't be afraid. Only believe. Time works against us. And if we're not careful, if we don't understand time, then we will be eaten up by impatience. See, God does not live in time. He's outside of time. He is in our past. He is in our future. And he is right here. He is. I am, he said. I was, I am, and I will be. I am the beginning and the end. I am before the problem, I'm with you in the problem, and I am the answer to the problem. Are you hearing me? For God, it's done. The second thing I got to move is reason. Human reasoning is an enemy of faith. And oftentimes, 
it creeps in and it assaults our faith. And the reason is, is because much of faith is unreasonable. Are you hearing me? See, faith is believing in advance for what only makes sense in reverse. For we're always trying to make sense of things. We're always trying to get it figured out. What is the, you know, the problem is, is God's not reasonable. In human terms, he just doesn't make sense. He pays taxes by getting money out of fish's mouths. He gets messages to prophets by talk, making a donkey talk. Amen. He gets his point across to a nation by having his pro uh, prophet marry a prostitute. Wow. Uh, that wouldn't even fly in the church. He don't make sense. Reason creeps in through the door of the opinions of men. Or the assumptions we make about what we think we understand. Go home, t think that through. That's the assumptions we make about things that we think we understand. We think we understand. Seven sons of Sceva thought they understood what they were doing. They saw Paul, these young men, they were the sons of a man named Sceva. He was a high priest. And one day they saw pa uh, Pastor, they saw Paul, Pastor Paul. He was the Apostle Paul, I guess I shouldn't. He was casting out demons. And they said, we can do that. So they went out and found themselves a demon-possessed guy. They took him home. They took him in the, into their bedroom. And they said, in the name of Jesus, who Paul uses, we adjure you. Come out of him. And the demon went, hang on. Locked the door and said, Paul, I know. And Jesus, I know. But who are you? And then just beats the tar out of them. Sends them down the road naked. See, they made an assumption about what they think they understood. Or the cycle of negative experiences. We're always defining the Bible, not by the good experience, but by the negative. Or misinformation or misinterpretation. Another thing that creeps in is fear. By nature, faith takes risks. Fear, by nature, resists risks. Fear is always counting the cost. It paralyzes potential. It limits our effectiveness. It causes us to miss opportunity. We're always afraid that the devil's going to get us. Look at God's ability to keep us is greater than the devil's ability to confuse us. Are you hearing me? Somewhere we got to go, we got a big God. Then our confession this is probably where we really blow it, church. We just talk, 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 talk. I wish sometimes God would just tape my mouth shut. God says, me too. I've been thinking about it. <laughs> Proverbs 18, 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. What is he saying? He's saying, look at you can, you can create a problem, or you can fix a problem by how you talk. Well, you know what? I, I'm, I'm just a, I just suck. I'm horrible. I'm a rotten person. You will be. That's right. You know, I, 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 here, I'm going to just once again be vulnerable. I have a famous statement that I make. It's famous because I made it famous. Um, 
People always ask me, they come up to me. See, I've been struggling. Have you noticed that I've struggled with my weight? You may not have noticed that. But anyway, I do struggle with my weight a little bit. And um, people always come up to me and they ask me, how you doing? And I always say, I'm fat and sassy. Right and guess what I am? Yes. No, say it out loud. Thank you. That's what I am. Why? Because according to your faith, so be it. You know what I'm saying now? I'm skinny and I am treasured by God. Because look at the real me is skinny on the inside. Now, I have found that the real me can be shut up real easy with a donut. But you know what? Somewhere along the line. No, I'm just, I'm just joking. I got to end this sermon. I got to, I got to get done. I got to get done. I got to get done. You, you guys are confusing me. The problem is, is we talk. We talk and we undermine undermine our faith. I've been believing God to get healed. Well, I don't know if he'll do it. If he'll do it, look at, stop that. He did it. Look at, let's put it in context we can, we can understand. Okay, you go to a restaurant, you eat, and the guy that you're with says, hey, lunch is on me today. So he goes up to the counter, he pays the waitress, your bill is paid. Then he leaves. You walk up and you go, I'm here to pay my bill. And the waitress goes, I'm confused. He paid your bill. No, no, he didn't. He ain't doing it. Where is he? It's done. It's been paid. Walk in it. You say, well, I still have symptoms. Those symptoms are lying. Right on. Thank you. Now, listen, I understand. Look, at. I'm not a novice in this, nor am I being flippant. I understand sometimes the symptoms are heavy. And I understand sometimes they can be debilitating. But I also understand that if we'll get a hold of the fact that our God is a healer all the time, we will be healed. We cannot afford to let our mouth dictate because of negative experience. How about this one? Socially acceptable sins. Sins that we seem to accept. Things like pride. Carnality. You know, one of the things that I've noticed happening in the church right now is that the Christian church is wearing carnality as a badge of freedom. They're going, you know what? I could just do anything I want because Jesus forgave me. It is a fact he forgave you. It is a fact he has imputed righteousness unto you because of your faith. It is a fact that righteousness is no longer the goal. It is the position you have. But it is not a license to sin. Paul writes in Romans chapter 6... He says, so because grace does abound, should I just keep on sinning? Heaven's sakes, no, Paul writes. No. There is a change. Because when you go on sinning, when you keep doing the things, the selfishness, disobedience, the, 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 the gossip, and the, just the stuff of the world, what's happening is you're living far beneath the identity he gave you. And finally, the last one, and, I, and, and I'm finishing it here. Jason can come if he wants. Is we can't afford to be double-minded. In the book of James, it says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And what you say, what does that mean? How does that sneak in? Well, sometimes what happens is we get into a position where we have one foot in the world and one foot in God. And it's not a place of indecision. It's a place of trying to serve two masters. And you can't. 
Because one's, you're going to despise the one or hate the other. And what happens is it brings you into a place of, of, of confusion. And so often I find Christians, see, rather than, look at, here's how you know if you're heading towards double-mindedness. When you ask questions, is it okay to do this? Well, take your, your vice, whatever your vice is, put it in here, go, your vice. Will it take me to hell? If you're asking that question, you're struggling with double-mindedness. And you say, what, what, what do you mean? It's because, see, the question is never, how much can I get away with and still make heaven home? The question is, how close can I get to Jesus? Are you hearing what I'm saying? How close can I get to him? I want, that relationship is so precious to me that I will do anything to protect it, including keep my flesh under control. Are you hearing what I'm saying? There's a whole other point to this sermon, but obviously I don't have the time. So it will be part two next week. And the point is called contending for the faith. And I, and, and I really want to show you how to really contend, how to really fight the fight. I want to give you a living example in the Word of God of, of a person who actually did it, that got out there and contended and won. And so I encourage you to come back for that. Bring a friend, bring a relative. But I, I just, I feel like th this, this is the thing that God's wanting to say to the church today, is that if you'll, if you'll have faith, if, if you'll walk in that, I will respond. I'll pour out more on you than you can ever imagine. Look at He's under no obligation to give you anything. But he will give you everything. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Why don't you bow your heads with me? Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time that we've had. We thank you for the revelation, God, of your word. And Father, we pray right now, God, that you would just cause that word, Lord, to, to find a place in our hearts. God, that it would take root and bear fruit. Father, help us, God, to walk this out. Help us to meditate on this truth. And Father, we're careful to give you all the praise and all the glory. I wonder, as every head is bowed, every eye is closed, if you're here today, you don't know Jesus as your Savior, but you would like to know him. If that's you, would you lift up your hand? Lift it up all across this place. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Well, you can look up at me this morning. Why don't you stand to your feet? Go, to, go this morning in the knowledge that God loves you and that he wants to do big things for you. Worship his name this week and contend for the faith. Can you say amen? God bless you. You're free to go. Our ministry team is coming. If you have a need of any kind, come on up. Let them minister to you. Thank you for listening to the Praise Chapel Kingman podcast. We can't wait to see you next week.